Hello, how are you today? My name's Kim Hamer and I'm delighted to welcome you to Building Brand You at the Power of Reinvention 2020 Summit. I'm an international business coach, a speaker and a serial entrepreneur based here in London in the UK. But let's get one thing out of the way. You might be hearing a strange accent and part of that is because I've reinvented myself before. In 2004, I moved from Melbourne in Australia, my hometown, over here to London. So I've been here for a, coming up to 16 and a half years now. That's the accent you can hear. So that's now off the table. You don't have to wonder about that for the next half an hour. But that's not the story I want to share with you today. I want to share with you another story of reinvention. And it starts in 2016. So I was sitting at my desk in the office and I, I had a desk right underneath the stairs going up to the fourth floor uh, of, our of our building. Uh, and beside that was sort of like an open, I guess, community gathering space. So I used to kind of, you know, see everything come and go as I, as I sat at my desk. And on this particular day, the rumour mill was buzzing. I could feel the anxiety and uncertainty in the air. Because what was going around the office was that we were being sold. Now, two hours later, that was actually confirmed. Our global competitor had made an offer for the shares in our £4 billion manufacturing business, and we were being sold. Now, at least we had a certain answer, but there was still lots of uncertainty to come. Because over the next 18 months, the global competitor had to jump through all sorts of hoops and manage all sorts of red tape all over the world in all of the different markets that we both operated in. So it was a time where we weren't even sure that the deal was going to go ahead. If any of those uh, competition commissions had said, uh, no, we're not happy with your proposal for our region, the whole deal could have fallen apart. So while there was kind of certainty, actually there wasn't. There was also uncertainty from another point of view. It wasn't so much will the deal go through, but what was going to happen to us, all of us in the business? Now, some people were invited to be part of the transition and integration teams. So they were taken from their current roles and put into um, a, a unique team that was responsible for managing all the information flows and the processes uh, that would help uh, the, the buying organisation to actually get all the information it needed and make the transition happen smoothly. But that was just one group and they weren't certain either. No one was guaranteed of a job at the end of that period. Then there was a second group who'd been with the company for a very, very long time. And some of them had never worked for another company. So there was uncertainty about, will I have a job? Will I have to interview for the first time in my life? What other job might I want? Um, how do I need to upgrade you know, my skills for the world out there? Uh, what if I can't get another job? What am I going to do? And for some people, they were quite close you know, one or two years off potentially being able to retire. So there was a question for them about, well, can I 
do I bother getting another job or can I manage myself into an early retirement? So there was lots of uncertainty for that group of people. And then there was a third group of people who had the invitation to stay in the new company and the option to leave with a financial package. And I was one of that group. So I'd been with this company, this manufacturing company, for five and a half years. And at the time, I was working in a global role. It was a role that didn't exist before I took it on. So I got to create it. And it was leading on innovation, product development, and customer development globally for our business. And it was a role I loved. I got to work with big, big, big players like Coca-Cola and Nestle Waters and Heineken and Red Bull and Pepsi, great, great companies. And I loved the whole creation um, that happened when you collaborate with businesses and come up with new ideas. So I, in no way was I ready for it to end. I felt we had so much more that we could be doing to grow our business and to help our customers grow theirs. But it wasn't to be. The job was going to end. And as the saying goes, when life gives you lemons, go and plant some seeds. So that's what I decided to do. I decided to take the financial package and to give myself the gap year that I never had. So I went from my four-year university degrees straight out into the workforce. I was keen to get out there, to get my career going, to earn some money, all of those things. So I didn't take a gap year like a lot of my friends did. And I'd never really stopped to explore in the 28 years that I'd spent working who Kim was without all of the job structures and all of the corporate trappings. So I thought, let's have a gap year. This is going to be my year to explore, to indulge, and to come back onto the market uh, at the start of uh, 2018, renewed, re-energized, refreshed, and really focused on what I wanted to do next. And I was 47 years old. And I'll tell you why that's significant. My Oma, my Dutch grandmother, died in 2005, and she was 94. So she was my last surviving grandparent, and she was on my mind a lot when I turned 47 uh, in this year. Now, Oma was just this amazing spirit. She had grit and, and a bit of spark, and right up until her, um, her last months in the nursing home, um, she liked nothing better than to go out to the local pub, have a big plate of fish and chips, and drink a pint of Guinness that I swear was about as big as she was. Anyway, when she died in 2005, I had, I had thought to myself, you know, it's sad, but she's had a good innings. So in my mind, 94 equaled a good innings. 94 is a life. And when I turned 47, Uma was really on my mind because if you do the maths, 47 is actually half of 94. So I said to myself, wow, I'm only halfway through. And I promptly fell into a deep, dark hole. What was I going to do for the next 47 years? How was I going to fill that? I had no idea. And it was daunting 
It was frightening to look ahead and think, 47 years, like, really, what am I going to do with that? And I really experienced, like, despair and a feeling of desperation, and that went on for a few months. Now, at the same time, I was out, uh, you know, doing the things I had said I was going to start doing for my gap year. I was just finishing the handover period of um, leaving uh, the company I was with. So I I was out doing fun things and I was putting a brave face on it, um, enjoying all of these things. But really, the brave face was covering up this, this desperation and this despair I felt about the absence of future and vision um, for what was going to happen in my life. And at the same time, what was also going on is a lot of shoulding. Now, in my mind, shoulds are the killer of joy and possibility. If you catch yourself shoulding, stop it immediately. This is what I was saying to myself. I've been given this opportunity to indulge and explore I should feel grateful. I should be excited. I shouldn't feel like this. I shouldn't feel like this is hard. Maybe I should have stayed. Maybe I should have worked harder or smarter. Maybe I shouldn't have done this, spent that. Maybe I should have done something different. It was maybe should, maybe should, maybe should. And it was exhausting. And there was a point I got to where I got so despairing of it that I thought, you know what? I just want to get off the merry-go-round now. Let's just end it here. 47 years has been great. I'm happy with that. Now, clearly, that thought didn't go any further. But one of the things that I did a lot uh, when I was going through this period was I was spending time on my own at home. And... I was tired. I was tired quite a lot. And I spent quite a bit of time sitting outside on my patio, reading and, and, and just being still. Now, my patio is fantastic. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a small garden and a patio. Um, I'm on a ground floor flat. And what I used to do was just sit out, prop my feet up on another chair. I'd read, I'd sit in the sun and just really take it easy and the reading helped to take my mind off all of this despair um, and, 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 and this awful feeling of inadequacy and hopelessness I guess and on this particular day it was it was around October time and it, it was um, quite quite a warm day for October and I was sitting out on the patio and the sun was just shining down it was a Sunday afternoon in North London so it was pretty quiet actually and I'd been reading and I'd stopped. I turned the book over on my lap and was sitting there, spine up, and I'd put my head back and closed my eyes and I could feel the sun on my face and on my arms. And all of a sudden, I opened my eyes and sat up. And I said out loud, I'm only halfway through. I've done a pretty good job. In 47 years, I've got a good life. Imagine what I could do with the next 47 years. And in that moment, I felt this weight lift from my shoulders. It was like this energy had been released. And I knew exactly what I was going to spend my gap year doing. 
I was going to plant some seeds and I was just going to see what grew. And all of a sudden, I felt free. So off I went into 2018 with that mindset. I cooked. I did some traveling. I went back to Australia to see family and spend time with those that matter most to me. But I also did some traveling in the UK, some small breaks to places like York and Edinburgh that I hadn't visited before. And I loved exploring those places. I read, no surprise to you who know me, uh, I read a lot, anything every chance I got. And in fact, if I wasn't here doing this with you right now, I'd probably off, be off with my nose in a really good book. Um, but reading was just such, it is such a joy and it was so beautiful to indulge in it um, and not try and squeeze it in places. You know, I did a lot of, um, I went to a lot of courses and I listened to a lot of speakers. Uh, I, I did some online study with Oxford University, with MIT in the States. Um, I became a trustee. I became a trustee for um, a, secondary, a secondary school here in North London. And that was born out of what had emerged from some of the, the I don't know what my future is going to be like, about, well, you know, the future is in the hands of the next generation and are we actually equipping them to be resilient and persistent and to be responsible for building their own success and their own happiness? So I, doing all of those things, all of those things. And I got to the end of the year and I started to think about what I would do going back onto the market. And I used four questions to start to frame what that might look like. So question number one was, what am I good at? Question number two was, what do I enjoy? Question number three was, what do I want to try? And question number four was, what do I need help with? So question number one, what am I good at? So I have opinions about what I'm good at, and I had plenty of those. But sometimes the gold comes from other people. And it was about thinking about what I'd heard, what other people tell me all the time that I'm good at and that we just, we just forget to listen to. Maybe it becomes a bit of wallpaper for us, but I really tuned in to what other people said I was good at, not just my own, my own view of the world. The next thing was, what do I enjoy? And this was thinking about what are the things that light me up from a work point of view? So it wasn't about necessarily taking, you know, a passion like writing and making that into a job. It was about thinking, I am super creative. I love the new stuff. I love collaborating. So things like working in a team um, are really important to me, but I love to work on my own as well. So I like some autonomy around projects. I like new projects. So give me a problem, give me a thing to create. I'm there, I'm all over it, I make it happen. If you want me to manage the status quo, I am not your girl. I will find problems to solve that you don't want me to find. So it was about understanding what it was that I really enjoyed doing at work. The third question was, what do I want to try? You know, I wanted to go into a role that, that helped me to grow, that helped me to, to, to explore even more. 
um, I'd learned a lot about myself over the, 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 the year. And I thought, well, I don't want to stop the learning. So what are the, some of the things I'd love to learn about? And then there were some practical things as well. You know, um, at that stage, I was 48. I started my marketing career uh, before the Internet and before social media. And while I considered myself quite social media and Internet savvy, you know, there were new things coming out all the time. There was a thing called Instagram that I knew nothing about. Um, everybody said I should be videoing and I've never videoed myself in my entire life. So, you know, there were, there were things that practical things that I could use um, help with uh, that I wanted to try. And that takes me to the fourth question excuse me, um, I've given you a little preview there, um, about what I needed help with. So I found some people to help me, give me some tips on videoing on social media. Um, you know, I, I looked for what I wanted help with, not just in finding a job, but in actually reaching out to my network uh, and, and exploring what was possible. You know, again, it was about planting seeds everywhere and seeing where the help came from. I think that's a really important thing I learned is that it's about seed planting everywhere, not just going to one place and hoping it will happen all at once. Anyway, I got to the end of 2018, I dusted off my CV and it was time to hit the market. Now, not, not just because I was more senior in my role and they tend to take time, but I was determined that I was going to find the right fit. So I was in no rush. I spent time exploring the market, I spoke to recruiters, I spoke to my network, um, I, I wanted to find the job that would be the one for the next maybe five years or so. So this was not about rushing into the first thing that was that was offered or put in front of me. And you know the roller coaster of, of recruitment and job hunting went on. Um, I got close to a few and um, from either side one or the other would decide it wasn't quite the right fit. But in September, I was down to the last two for a marketing director role for an amazing charity out in West London. Now, the final interview had gone really well. Um, I was really excited about the organisation. They were located in um, a lovely place. Uh, it would have meant moving from, from where I live in North London, but that was okay. Seed planting. So I was ready. I was, I was open and ready. To do that. So two days after the interview, the recruiter called me and she told me I'd missed out, that they'd gone with the other candidate. Now, she was saying all of these lovely things, you know, it wasn't you. And, and sometimes the fit just doesn't work. Um, you know, there were two of us, there wasn't much between us. Um, don't take it personally, you know, you're fantastic. I'll, you know, be out looking for other opportunities. And it was great. She was super supportive and and I didn't sort of want to, to dissuade her from that. There was part of me that was just listening to it and saying, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I understand. But actually inside, I wasn't disappointed. Not at all. And I expected to be. And it was a really strange position to be in. And what I realized was this. I'd been looking for this Kim-shaped box somewhere out there, and it just didn't exist. I'd been thinking about who Kim was without the corporate trappings, and I'd forgotten to really think about her with them. There was no Kim-shaped box 
out there. So I was going to have to build it myself. I can remember that day so vividly. It was the 20th of September, 2018. I can remember her voice on the phone. I can feel the phone against my ear. And I can remember that, that blinding moment of clarity. I'm going to have to build a Kim-shaped box. So it was the 20th of September. In November, I flew to the US and I spent three days in Florida at an international entrepreneur mastermind with one of the world's best wealth and business coaches. After that, I flew to Los Angeles and spent six days um, at an enormous and just completely inspirational uh, conference. 2,000 entrepreneurs in the room, business speakers, celebrities, all sorts of hints and, and tips we heard from Hugh Hilton, uh, Jay Abraham, uh, Steve Wozniak, uh, like just, just brilliant. And it was about putting myself into the new environment, into an environment that would help me shape this Kim-shaped box. In, after that, in December, I came back and I invested in a day with a master business coach. And she and I worked together for the day to work out what I had and how we could shape it into a business. Now, that is what I'm passionate about. What I learned is that I actually had all of the, these ingredients already. It was just about creating the right recipe. And on 1st of January, 2019, I started Artemis Futures. I... Sorry, I <laughs> got a bit emotional there. Um, I did my first speaking gig in February. I ran my first workshop in March. I raised my first invoice in April. And I did my first paid international speaking gig in May. So it was quite a trajectory. But that wasn't all that was happening. So while I was, I was starting to build Artemis Futures, I was approached by a couple of entrepreneurs who are running a customer advisory business and they asked me to come on board as a managing partner and that happened in April. So a seed that I'd planted probably six months before had started to sprout. So all of a sudden I was an entrepreneur with two businesses and in areas that I love about taking what is inside people and businesses, unlocking it so that they can grow and so that they understand what their brand is, what their message is, and can really use that to accelerate their success, whether it's personal or professional. Now there's more. I was still a trustee in the, in the education system and the same school. But as a result of the business partnership with um, the customer advisory business, um, those directors and I have actually launched a new business this year, the Customer Experience and Service Association in the Middle East. And we launched that in June. So it's new, it's really exciting. And we're currently preparing for a four-day online conference in October. But there's more. I became a speaker. I became a writer. I became a podcaster. 
not my podcast, but I've done 10 or 11 podcasts on the Mastering the Game of Life uh, podcast with Paul Lowe. And a couple of those podcasts, I've taken the host's chair and allowed Paul to have the space to be interviewed. So that's been a brilliant opportunity and it's really grown um, grown my confidence in, in speaking and, and learning a new medium, podcasting. Who knew? Who knew? But one of the most exciting things happened in March 2020. Thinkers 3... An organisation called Thinkers 360 nominated me as one of the top 100 global women in B2B to follow. And I just... When that happened, I thought, this wasn't the same person... (laughs) you know, a year ago, 18 months ago. Who, who is this person? And in an excited way. And, and I'll let you in on a secret. You know, I don't know where I'm going to be sitting this time next year. But that's part of the fun. That's part of the excitement and part of the journey. All I know is that who I am and where I'm meant to be today is here sharing my story with you. So in finishing, I want to leave you with a quote. And it's a quote from Rudyard Kipling. And it was given to me by my mother at at the start of the year. And my mum is one of the most important people in my life. Uh, She is, she's just a space of unconditional love and such a great sounding board um, for me, particularly in those in those dark times when, you know, I'd say, why do I have to reach for more? Why do I always want more? Why can't I just settle like other people do? You know, why, you know, what's, what's wrong with me? But she's also been my biggest champion. Um, when times are tough, she always reminds me that, that I can do it and that, that I am resilient and that I will make it and that it will all turn out in the end. Anyway, she sent me this quote, and I really want to—I want to read it to you, um, so that I can—I can get it right and really share it with you. So again, Rudyard Kipling: The individual has always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. If you try it, you will be lonely often and sometimes frightened, but no price is too high for the privilege of owning yourself. As human beings, we are hardwired for certainty. Our little grey cells love comfort and familiarity and they're always on the lookout for danger and risk. And the job for them is to protect us, protect us from what's out there in life and keep us safe. But Hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, it did a great job because it protected us from being eaten by lions. So what's it protecting us from now? Is it protecting us from being uncomfortable? Is it protecting us from changing? Stepping out of what's comfortable is hard. It takes courage. I want to share with you what I got out of stepping out of what I was comfortable in. 
I found space. I found space to let some things go and to have some new things come into my life. I found the space to stop and enjoy the moments and to experience pure moments of joy and happiness without judgment, without worrying what was going to be next. Being present and having the space to do that is one of the things I got out of stepping out of my comfort zone. The second thing is I learned some stuff. So I learned to be grateful. I learned gratitude and I brought that into my life every day. And it's been one of the keys to making me be compassionate and kind to myself. To stop that, that should, should, maybe, maybe, should, should. Compassion and gratitude and humility to understand the difference between being being proud and arrogant and being quietly proud and humble about what I can offer the world, my family, my friends, my clients, my community. And I learned to own myself and that's been, I think, the biggest gift. I learned to own all of myself, warts and all, my directness, my impatience, my willingness not to settle, which is a strange way to put it. My, my unwillingness to settle is maybe what I should have said. I learned to own my mistakes. I learned to be myself. I learned to own my energy, my passion, my vision, my resilience, my persistence and my fierceness. I got to love those things about myself and to own them as part of who I truly am instead of squashing them to fit into someone else's box. So I'm Kim Hamer. I'm an international business coach, a speaker and a serial entrepreneur. And I'm here today because I know how important it is to build brand you. It's something we're not taught, but it is something we can learn. And if you invest in building brand you, in unlocking your greatest asset, and that's you, I promise you, it will be the best gift you ever give yourself. Thank you.